Well, welcome to our final podcast uh, uh, where we're looking at the latest Westpac market outlook report. And this, of course, is for December. And that was released a couple of days ago. Uh, here we'll be talking about the overall growth outlook, the outlook for markets. Uh, I'll be asking Matt Hassan to talk about uh, the, the consumer story. Ryan Wells will talk to us about the business outlook. Uh, Justin Smirk will talk about the uh, our revised inflation forecasts. And Elliot Clark, very timely, will give us some insights into the announcement this morning from the Federal Open Market Committee with regard to the federal funds rate. So let me start with our outlook for the for economic growth in Australia in 2023. We've had a view of 1% growth for some time now, and we confirm that number in the in the market outlook report for December. We also expect growth in 20 in 2024 to be a below trend 2%. So a couple of fairly uh, dis, uh, disappointing uh, growth numbers we're expecting to be in the pipeline for 23 and 24. The September quarter national accounts emphasised a number of pretty important themes that are driving our thinking there. There we saw the consumers spending slow from 2.1% in the June quarter to 1.1% in the September quarter. And when we look into what was driving that spending, we noticed that 0.4 of the 1.1 was coming from hotels and cafes, so this reopening effect that is still uh, continuing in Australia. Another 0.4 from uh, the motor vehicle uh, motor vehicle industry purchases and op operating costs. Very much the purchases being yet another reopening effect, and 0.3 coming from, um, from from tourism and travel, once again, that reopening effect. So the, the, the consumer spending story was dominated in the September quarter by those reopening factors. A few other things that we noticed were that the, the cost, interest cost that the, that the consumer is facing lifted from, increased from an increase of 1.4 billion in the June quarter to an increase of 5.1 billion in the September quarter. So those higher interest costs are starting to weigh on the consumer. We also saw the boost from spending from a fall in the savings rate scale back to only about a $4 billion boost compared to $7 billion in the June quarter as the fall in the savings rate starts to ease. Uh, bear in mind that the major support there uh, has, has well and truly backed now down to a much lower level, uh, given that the um, savings rate uh, a year ago was over 19%. So those forces we see uh, working their way through in the in 2023. If we think about the consumer in the first half of 2022, running at a, a an, an annualised speed of 8%. In the second half, we think around 4%. We think in the first half of 2023, that'll slow to 2%. And in the second half, uh, the the story will be for flat uh, flat growth, um, and and the reason why we're expecting that uh, the 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 two the first half of next year to be stronger than the second, it's just that this momentum is coming through. We saw another strong employment number today that Justin might be able to touch on, uh, and and so it's really a. a a case of slowing momentum, these big forces around rising interest rates uh, and around a, a negative uh, wealth effect coming from falling house prices. Uh, these are big factors that will be weighing on the consumer next year and are consistent with our stagnation story for the second half of 
2023. Um, what does that mean for interest rate policy? Well, I think with the with the economy still doing okay in the first half of 2023, uh, the the case for higher interest rates will be very strong. Reserve banks maintained its strong tightening bias by referring to the fact that they the board expects to be raising rates further, um, and I think that's that's going to be the key factor when we come to to look at the the February board meeting. We're expecting 25 basis point rate increase. Another one in in March which will be in response not only to the lift in to the higher inflation report that we're getting on the 20th, 25th of, of January, but also a lift in wages growth as we see those those inflation pressures uh, intensifying. And that, that was also apparent in the September quarter national accounts where we saw that the uh, price indicator for consumers was up 2%, fastest we've seen uh, since 1999. And uh, new and uh, incomes uh, uh, was up 3.2%, uh, and that was a, a very strong number too. Uh, relative, you have to go back to the mining boom to see a number like that. So those inflationary pressures are there, and the risk on inflation, of course, will be driven by particularly those wage pressures that'll be feeding into the uh, into services inflation over the course of next year. As we move into the second half of the year, if we're talking about a stagnating economy and evidence that inflation pressures are, are starting to ease and we'd expect rates to remain on hold in the second half, uh, prior uh, following a, the final rate hike that we expect in at the May board meeting, that'll still be reflecting these inflation pressures that'll be too strong to, for the board to ignore, even though there will be some encouraging signals that inflation pressures are easing. And then in 2024, um, we expect that the inflation pressure will be sufficiently weak and in the face of, of that of that stagnating economy that the Reserve Bank can start cutting interest rates. And Elliot Clark will be talking about similar profiles that we're looking, looking for for the US economy over that two-year period. I think with that, I'd like to hand it over to Matt Hassan. Matt, um, I, I emphasise the, the consumer as being critical to our growth story for next year. Uh, what's the latest information we're getting from on spending and on confidence uh, that how you, and how you're interpreting that? Thanks, Bill. Uh, yes, we've had another batch of updates since November and it's a fairly similar story. Uh, rate hikes and cost of living pressures are clearly bearing down very heavily on, on sentiment, uh, which even with a bit of a lift late in the year in the December month is still hovering around levels that we only really see during major disruptions or recessions. We're at the 80 level, that's uh, you know, 20 points below neutral um, uh, in the past. We've only seen uh, materially weaker reads in the depths of the recessions, the early 1990s and the early 1980s. So uh, consumers are clearly still deeply concerned about high inflation about uh, what this and the associated jump in interest rates means uh, for family finances and for the wider economy, particularly over the next year. Um, where there are some glimmers of hope, Senate-wise, it's, it's around the mortgage belt, um, where we saw a decent lift off uh, a very weak read in November, uh, a record low it was back in November. Um, and that seems to go with some other parts of the December survey that suggest um, consumers are starting to see light at the end of the tunnel around interest rate rises. Uh, we're seeing uh, less than half now expect rates to rise by further, by more than a percentage point over the next 12 months. So 
uh, that's definitely coming back. Um, but the picture is still of you know, a, a very weak sentiment level overall. Um, where there's more positivity, it's still around the labour market. Um, consumers uh, remain relatively confident about the outlook for unemployment. Um, as despite some softening through October and November that had been hinting at a, a cycle there. And more generally, this, this sort of balance between uh, interest rate and inflation concerns uh, and the labour market is likely to be what shapes confidence as we move into 2023. We'll get closer to uh, a slowdown in uh, the RBA's tightening cycle. We should start to get some sort of better news eventually on inflation. But those positives uh, are likely to be balanced out by uh, the impacts of the RBA's tightening cycle on the wider economy, particularly as that starts to flow through to labour markets. As far as the, the spending side of things go, um, it, despite that sort of softer tone through the September quarter, that you know, the September quarter National Council is largely in line with expectations, uh, and the picture still suggests that rate rise impacts haven't really landed as far as spending goes. So consumption growth moderated in the quarter, but was largely in line with expectations. As you've outlined, it's still in line with that post-COVID normalisation process. That's still the, the big driver in the, in the third quarter, with maybe a little bit more of a drag from higher prices uh, than we're expecting going in, but uh, no real evidence that rate rises were having a heavy impact. And when we look at the timely or partial data that's coming out, uh, we've seen some slightly softer reads in October, around retail sales that dipped 0.2% in the October month, uh, and new vehicle sales have been flat through October, November, after that very strong gain in the September quarter. Um, but the signal from our Westpac card tracker, which we now have reads on up until the second week in December, uh, suggests that the, the, there was a, a slow patch October, but that spending activity lifted again through November and the early part of December. In fact, um, the uh, Black Friday and Cyber Week sales look to have been quite solid uh, for discretionary goods, tracking closely in line with last year's performance. Uh, and, and barring a major drop-off in the next two weeks, that puts us on a path for a reasonably solid Christmas spend, and that'll lock in a decent gain for total consumption. So I think what we really interested in at this point is, is how that uh, holds up heading into 2023. We know the interest rate rise pressure on household cash flows is really ratcheting up now. We saw that uh, $5 billion extra going on interest payments in the September quarter. We'll get some bigger increases for the December quarter, uh, and then we'll start to see some very high numbers for total interest payments in the first half of next year. Uh, so that's going to become quite an intense pressure as we move into 2023. Obviously, the RBA will be watching very closely to see whether measures like the card tracker are starting to detect any signs that consumers are reacting to that additional uh, financial pressure. Uh, you know, we think the downshift will be quite abrupt when it comes through. Uh, and as you say, ultimately seeing spending stall and the wider economy stalling flat in the second half of next year, which I think is worth noting that with population growth back up around 1.3, 1.4% per annum, that implies a contraction in per capita spending. So look, at this stage, Sentiment very weak, uh, despite a, you know, some glimmers of hope in the December month. The spending side holding in, but it's looking like a quite an abrupt slowdown when it comes through. I think this Christmas is going to be okay, but we might be in for a bit of a, a hangover when we come back uh, in early 2023. Thank you, Bill. Okay, thanks, Matt. So, uh, so we're seeing some of that momentum continuing in the first half and the second half being that flat period. But as you say, the 4% consumer spending momentum 
six month annualized in the set and the second half of 22 is going to fade significantly in the first half down to about two uh ryan wells ryan you've been following the uh the business surveys recently and we we saw an update from the nab business survey for november um how are you uh, how are you assessing how businesses are responding to some of these forces yeah, thanks, Bill. Um, so the NAB business survey has really given us a sense to how our business conditions and confidence are really evolving uh, in the later portion of this year. And I'd like to touch on uh, four key themes that were evident in the November survey, uh, that being around the weakening in business confidence, the slowing of activity, uh, the drying up of new orders, and some of the intensity of cost pressures. So on confidence, uh, the November survey showed that the mood among Australian businesses has continued to weaken moving into the end of the year. And just by way of context, uh, this is part of a trend that began to emerge in September when business confidence uh, took a large step down from plus nine to plus four and then down to a below average reading of zero in October. And as of November, business confidence has moved another leg lower uh, down to minus four. And this is the first negative reading uh, since December last year. And what this is really signaling is that Australian business confidence is moving into outright uh, pessimistic territory. And this looks to be broadly based across industries with negative readings being evident across retail, wholesaling, wholesale, uh, manufacturing, construction, uh, and the finance, business, and property segment. And confidence is also negative across each of the four major states being New South Wales, Victoria, uh, Queensland, and Western Australia. So businesses are recognising that the economy is uh, losing momentum and that margins are being squeezed by sharply higher input costs. And with more rate rises to come, uh, the recent pessimistic turn in business confidence is a development that will likely persist uh, moving into next year. And this leads into my second point, which is around the slowing of activity. So business conditions, as um, reported in the NAB survey, have been stepping down in recent months, and they're currently at a level of plus 20. And we were always expecting that moving into the end of the year, uh, evidence would begin to emerge that conditions are slowing, and the more granular detail uh, highlights this too. So over the last two months, we've seen conditions reportedly ease across the consumer segments, uh, being retail, recreation, and personal. Uh, as well as wholesale and the finance, business and property group. And the reopening effect that was most evident uh, in the Delta-affected states of New South Wales and Victoria uh, also looked to be fading. But what is less certain, however, is the pace of this slowdown. So it's worth noting that in the NAB survey, uh, the print of plus 20 for conditions, it's still an elevated result against the series history. And other surveys, such as the AIG survey, for example, uh, shows that the cooling in business conditions has been more pronounced. So the AIG manufacturing index was firmly within expansionary territory over the first half of the year uh, before moving to around uh, the break-even mark of 50 in the last few months. And as of November, uh, the manufacturing index has slipped below that break-even mark, uh, which is a starker result compared to the NAB survey. Uh, and a similar theme can also be found in AIG's services index, which has also slipped into the contractionary zone over recent months, uh, being led by the finance, property and business group, uh, which is an incredibly interest rate sensitive sector. So what we can take from all of this is that business conditions are cooling, but the pace of slowing is a little bit more unclear, um, with some surveys suggesting that industries are moving below uh, that break-even mark.
Um, the third key development that's driving the, the movement in business conditions is the drying up of new orders. And in the NAB survey, uh, new orders have come off their peak of plus 17 in August and are now sitting at plus five in November. So it's still at a positive level, but it's only modest. So overall, there has been a substantial slowdown in new orders growth. And that's again within the context of the broader transition that's occurring in the Australian economy as the RBA's rapid increases in interest rates uh, begin to impact. And the last point I'd want to make a note of is on the cost front. So for many businesses, margins are being squeezed by spiraling input costs. And the most recent development in the surge of energy costs has been another major source of pressure. And thinking of the non-resources sector for businesses, uh, they're facing sharply higher input costs and a limited ability to pass on these higher costs. And this is putting an intense squeeze on their margins moving into the end of the year. And some parts of the business sector, like manufacturing, are more prone to this issue of elevated energy costs too, and this can be a huge hit to their competitiveness. So to sum up, the mood among Australian businesses has clearly shifted into pessimistic territory, and this is reflective of the emerging evidence that business conditions are easing, albeit the pace of which is a little bit less clear depending on the survey data. And with the burst of, in, um, the burst of new orders growth seen during the first half of the year now drying up and rising input costs uh, weighing on margins, uh, it's becoming clear that the Australian economy is in transition and that Australian business confidence uh, will remain under pressure moving into next year uh, with the RBA's ongoing tightening cycle. So I'll hand it back to you, Bill. Yeah, thanks very much, Ryan. And it is, it, it is interesting to see that the consumer rolled over some time ago in terms of their confidence levels, as Matt was pointing out, and now you're starting to see that coming through with business. And of course, that's logical that businesses are going to start to reflect the issues that their customers are facing. And of course, the direct issues uh, around, around inflation that um, directly affects them through their own business and, of course, through what happens to their customers. So that profile that we have of that uh, weakening in the economy next year, but gathering, benefiting from some momentum at the beginning of the year uh, is certainly uh, looking to be the best way to be looking at the economy for next year. Uh, Justin Smirk, Justin, you've been spending a lot of time <coughs> reviewing our inflation forecasts on the basis of the energy changes that we've seen and the other information that we've seen around the national accounts that I referred to before. So can you give me an update on, on how you're seeing that inflation story now? Sure, Bill. The, um, I guess the, the overall theme coming from a lot of uh, the updates we've been seeing is that inflationary pressures uh, are moderating. Um, we got the monthly uh, CPI indicator out, which came in softer than expected, 0.2 versus 0.6. Um, the softness was coming through some of the things you'd think of being a bit that it should, thought we should be stronger, so like food. Um, we also saw um, some moderations around the sort of electricity prices coming through there too. They were, they were rising, but not as fast as we thought they would be. Um, but the main one coming through was what we saw happening with um, – some uh, goods um, sales, there were sort of pressures there, but the most important one is around dwellings. So dwelling momentum was a lot softer than we thought it would be. It came in 0.5 in the month, and we're looking for a monthly gain for the next three months of around 1.5, so quite a bit softer. Um, also, what we've been seeing is sort of moderation in fuel costs as well. Um, petrol prices have been coming in a lot less. So in, for the near term, that's meant we've had to revise down our near-term uh, inflation forecasts for those uh, December quarter, which originally was as high as 2.1, and that's now down to 1.6 for the quarter. 
And that takes our annual pace from year end down to seven and a half from something more like eight. So below what the RBA is forecasting now, uh, things moderation come through. So that's a bit of sort of a step down that's setting the tone for next year. But then moving into next year, we also seen the government come in with some meaningful price caps. Now the legislation has been passed, so we know what they're going to try and do in terms of the energy price caps. That's putting in a price cap for thermal coal of $125 a tonne and putting in a cap for gas prices of around $12 a gigajoule. What's interesting is gas prices spiked up to around $50 a gigajoule. And then as all this debate was opening up, started to fall back to around about 30 and 20. And then as this, as this was, was finally announced that the $12 gigajoule cap was coming in, the spot and the legislation was passed, spot price fell to $12 a gigajoule at the terminals in Australia. So you can see this having a meaningful impact. The government's revised their, their what they think their electricity prices are going to do over the next two years from well above uh, 50% to over the next two years increasing something closer to 47.6. Just as important, the gas prices themselves over the next two years have been revised down too, to something closer to what's 22, 23%. And all up, that means now our inflation forecast for the headline measure for the end of 23 has been revised down from uh, 4.4 to 3.9. And the trim mean, the core measure, has even been trimmed a little bit as well, down to 3.6 from 3.8. So the momentum in inflation, while still strong, and we're still heading into, we're still talking about inflation next year being above the target band, you can see that the momentum is easing, and we've got early signs already that December quarter is looking pretty much like it'll be the peak in the inflationary pressures, and things will start to ease as we move into 23. Yeah, thanks a lot, Justin. So you're painting that picture of um, inflation starting to ease through next year. Uh, I would argue that in the first months of next year, there won't be enough evidence that the Reserve Bank could feel that they can go on hold, uh, given that inflation will, will be apparently easing, but still huge uncertainty as to whether they're able to get inflation back into their target zone. Um, we're arguing that by the end of next year, that evidence will be gathering and in the early months of 2024, there'll be enough evidence there for them to accept the fact that they will be getting back into their target zone and that'll allow them to start easing policy. And uh, with I'm that good. in mind and that theme in mind, um, Elliot Clark uh, listened intently to the uh, Federal Chairman's uh, press release, press conference this morning and, and the other associated forecasts. So, Elliot, uh, what's your take on the on the FOMC's uh, news this morning? Yeah, thanks, Bill. It was definitely an, an interesting uh, set of forecasts and press conference, uh, particularly because it came at, at only a day after we got a, a much better than expected uh, CPI print for, for the US economy as well. And that's worth kind of weaving into the story here. Um, just to start with, with the, the Fed's um, the projections and the, kind of the press conference that Chair Powell um, provided uh, straight after the decision. Uh, so what we see there is, in addition to the 50 base point uh, sort of hike they delivered uh, for the December meeting itself, taking the Fed funds rate to 4.375%, uh, they revised up their Fed funds rate profile uh, for next year and really all the way through to 2025. Uh, so next year they now see a peak of 5.1%, um, and they only really expect a very modest decline in, in the Fed funds rate um, over 24 and 25, um, taking it at the end of each of those years to 4.1 and 3.1 respectively. And that's really 
really because they are continuing to guide that they believe that inflation is going to remain well above target, uh, basically through the forecast horizon until 2025, when they forecast headline PC inflation at 2.1%. So basically in line with the, 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 the 2% target at that point in time. So you can see from this, uh, that, that combination, they're very still very concerned about the, the way in which you know, inflation has continued to surprise the upside uh, and the risks that, that remain. Uh, and in the conversation in the, the press conference, it was clear that that's shifting more towards kind of the uh, thinking about kind of the, the, the level of wages growth that is needed to sustain um, uh, sort of 2% inflation in the medium term rather than above that figure. Uh, and they're still believing that uh, it, wage growth at, as it is currently is probably somewhere in the order of you know, two percentage points higher than what they need it to be to be confident they can get back to target. Um, so it's really those kind of the demand-led sort of wage pressures they're worried about. Um, and obviously they're cognizant that with uncertainty globally, you could still see some more supply side shocks come through. Um, interestingly, though, you know, with, with that picture, uh, it's not all strength for the, the economy. They have actually revised down uh, their, their growth view. So uh, they're now looking for growth of just 0.5% in 2022 and also in 2023. That revision for 2023 is most telling because it was previously a one2 um, so they're coming down to you know, less than a third of trend growth. And they also see it taking another two years to come back to trend. Um, so getting back to 1.8 at, at 2025. So yeah, so that, that really highlights, I think, a number of the risks we've been talking to, which is that it's not just about thinking about the immediate shock of policy um, on activity in 23, but also then how long it takes to build back out of that. Um, and obviously, yeah, thinking about, or from their view, they've got sort of, uh, rates being above uh uh, sorry, in a contractory stance uh, for an extended period, and, and that's kind of what's driving their outcome there. We actually think there's probably more downside in terms of growth. So um, against their 0.5 and 0.5 for 22 and 23, we have a 0.7, but then also minus 0.2 and 23. Um, so just 0.5% growth cumulative over the two-year period. And we actually have a probably a bit of a slower kind of return um, to sort of growth through the first part of 24. And it's only because of the aggressive rate cuts we're forecasting through 24 that we then get a better outcome in 24 and beyond um, from those, those rate cuts. Um, so, you know, that, that again highlights the, the, the downside risk we see and the, the dependence we see of the economy on the, the path of policy going forward. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that we also received the, the CPI print uh, for November just before the release, as a, just before the meeting, which it was in the middle of the, the two-day meeting. Um, that was much better than expected. So headline came in at 0.1 rather than 0.3, um, and the core measure came in at 0.2 rather than 0.3. But what was particularly telling about that result was that the combina a combination of, I guess, inflation uh, factors we see is all very consistent with a, a progressive deceleration in inflation, such that getting back to a low two by the end of next year is actually you know, quite probable um, if we assume that there's not any kind of more exogenous kind of supply side shocks coming through. On that kind of view, um, there's an argument to say that um, really that the market will be looking towards not really where the peak is because whether it's 4.875 as we're currently forecasting in March or 5.1 as um, effectively the Fed's forecasting probably in May, um, it's not really here nor there for term rates. What matters there more so is that, is that, that scale of rate cuts um, that comes thereafter and exactly when they start. Um, and so I think, yeah, what's telling that is if we see another kind of print like this in the CPI, you're going to see a lot more focus from the, the from the market about where those term rates should go. Um, and that is should be quite supportive and a bit of a buffer for the economy going through 23 and into 24 um, before they actually see those rate cuts actually occur in 24. 
Um, and as I said, like, if we do continue to see that, that trajectory of inflation down, that can give us good confidence that we uh, are likely, you know, well, the Fed is likely justified in aggressively cutting rates in 24, which, as I said, would allow the economy to rebound and start to recover some of that, that lost output that they've experienced through uh, 22 and 23 versus a potential track. So there's still a lot of uncertainty there, uh, but definitely some positive signs that um, – that inflation is abating and that we will be able to see the Fed change tack through 23 and deliver those cuts in 24. Um, but the caveat will remain all the way through that period that we see inflation risk to the upside. The Fed will remain hawkish or, or conservative in their views and they will act accordingly on that front as well. So we do have to make sure that inflation disappears uh, before they're going to be you know, willing to make those aggressive cuts, which we see in 24. Uh, thanks, Elliot. So if I can summarise the big picture that we have for 2023, we've got the first half of the year showing some momentum and still very high inflation and rising wage pressures. Not a, not a recipe for the Reserve Bank to go on hold. But in the second half of the year, with the economy losing momentum even further and actually stagnating and the inflation uh, slowdown becoming more and more apparent and wages growth getting near its peak, that's a time when they can go on hold. And then in, the, in 2024, uh, when we'll see the accumulation of that very weak growth and more and more evidence that the, that the, uh, the target on inflation is achievable, that's when we'll start to see the rate cuts. And as Elliot very clearly pointed out, quite a similar picture for the US. Um, so next year will be rate hikes in the first half of the year, on hold in the second half, and then rate cuts in 2024. So with that, let me wish you all a great holiday. And uh, we will be back in, uh, in early February uh, for the first um, uh, market outlook for the month of February. And obviously, there'll be a lot of data and, and some significant policy decisions that we'll be able to look back on then uh, and uh, just check how close it is to the profile that we're, uh, we're, we're advising you on. So we'll see you in a couple of months. Thanks very much. It's Bill Evans, Chief Economist, Westpac. Bye-bye.